Welcome to Counsel the Word, the podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about biblical counseling and the Gospels. Well, we know that when we sit down to minister to somebody in the context of counseling, that using the Bible, ministering the Bible, that is that is the source of the information and content and really care that we want to offer to hurting people that are struggling. And uh, we've talked recently about the different literary genres of the scripture on the podcast here, the different types of literature, that the Bible is not all the same type of literature. There are stories, there are proverbs, there are uh, musical psalms, there are letters. And uh, as we minister to people, recognizing those differences and ministering accordingly uh, is the way that we can be faithful in ministering God's word the way that it was intended. So to talk about this in the context of ministering the gospel texts to people, uh, we have with us today my good friend, Pastor Brent Osterberg. Uh, Brent is the pastor for preaching at Living Hope Bible Church in Mansfield, Texas, right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He is a ACBC certified counselor, and he is on our team of pastors here at the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, and so he teaches at our conferences and contributes to our website. So Brent, thank you so much for being here, brother, and it's a joy to have you back here in the studio today. And thank you for inviting me. Excited to be here. So this is somewhat of a follow-up podcast from a previous time. We sat down together where we talked about the historic narratives of the Bible. And today we're going to focus on the gospel literature in the New Testament. But just by way of review, in case someone may have missed that other podcast, um, can you just remind us what are the types of literature? What do we mean when we say the genres of the Bible and, and why is recognizing those so important for Bible reading? Well, to help our disciplees and our counselees get into the Word, we need to help them be good interpreters of Scripture, which includes understanding the historical context of what they're reading in each of the books of the Bible, but also understanding what the literary genres are that uh, that are included in the Scriptures. So if you're reading in the New Testament letters, you want to know the rules that you need to interpret uh, according to in the New Testament letters. Um, they're, you're going to interpret those differently than you would Old Testament poetry or wisdom literature because of the style of writing that is being used. So um, we would think of, of Gospels as having some unique facets that we would need to consider if we're going to be assigning these texts to our disciples to be reading. I do highly recommend um, having your counselees or disciples start in a book of the Bible and work their way through it during your counseling time so they can get the the full impact of context, truth in context, because we tend to be um, those who prescribe a verse here and a verse there, you know, kind of like a daily bread kind of mentality when it comes to uh, helping people with, with homework and assigning things to them to be working on during the week. But there's always a tendency for uh, our counselees to take that verse we've given them out of context or assume it means something it doesn't really mean, we need to have it anchored in the book, the immediate context, the chapter, the the actual book of the Bible, and then the testament that it's in. Context from the immediate surrounding area all the way out until into the entire Bible. And so literature, specific literature, is one of the ways that we, we need to be helping our counselees interpret accurately. 
That's very helpful. So we're talking today about the Gospels as as a type of literature we find in the Bible. So um, help us understand, what are the Gospels? Are they just biographies of Jesus, or what exactly are they? Well, I can understand why someone would think that, that it's a biography of Jesus. But we tend to think of biographies um, like modern biographies. And they are not modern biographies. And, and the reason why is because you do have represented, in like Matthew and, and Luke, the, the birth narratives there. But then you've got this huge gap of time. That we don't know what Jesus was doing. We don't know what happened in his life during that time because you've got one event when he was 12 years old in Jerusalem. It's a small little event there that takes place. But then you don't, you don't really see him again until he shows up on the scene when he's about 30 years old. And so that is, uh, is something that we need to, to differentiate the Gospels with when, when it comes to thinking about modern biography, and especially considering the fact that so much attention is given to the last week of Jesus' life. Um, you do have his ministry with his miracles and his teaching that, that goes on there, but um, then you've got that last week of his life that takes up so much of the Gospel text. And that tells us something, too, about the importance for this genre for um, our disciples. It is that there's something the authors are, are telling us about what takes place during this week that's so crucial, so central to our faith. What is going to happen is uh, the focus of, of these books. You know, just like in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, I mean, there's 24 chapters in Luke, but in 951, it says he set his face to Jerusalem. Now, why? He set his face to Jerusalem. Because that's where he was going to die. That's where he was going to be raised. And so even from back in chapter 9, you've got that focus um, that Luke is trying to help his readers see. And so I think that's one of the major benefits to having our disciples and counselees read the gospel narratives is because it, it brings the focus and the emphasis on the cross, on our only hope, which is Jesus Christ crucified and, ra- and raised. So. So, so the Gospels, we're talking about that. We're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those, those narrative portions of Scripture that reveal Jesus. They're not like modern biographies, but they do reveal us about Jesus, reveal uh, who Jesus is and, and tell of his life here on earth. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so this is, this is really helpful to, to help our listeners understand um, how to understand the Gospels and, and how they might be beneficial in counseling. But let's, let's narrow that, that focus here a little bit now. What are some of the elements or some of the benefits that our counselors might see as they minister from the Gospels to help hurting people? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I think is so helpful for us in the Gospel, uh, the gospel stories, the, these, these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that you see the humanity of Christ on display. Um, we, we do have to fight for the deity of Christ. I mean, there, there are cults, obviously. They're attacking the deity of Christ. Um, so we, we've understood the importance of the creeds back, um, you know, back hundreds of years ago and helping us establish the deity of Christ. I don't want to take away from that at all. But I think because we spend so much time defending the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ is overshadowed. But that is key for us 
And I think in, in terms of helping to console people and comfort people, walk through a, a hard life of seeking to obey the Lord when we've got um, our trifold enemy, you know, sin, Satan, and the world surrounding us. How can the humanity of Christ help us? Well, um, because the humanity of Christ reminds us that he is our sympathetic high priest. You know, Hebrews 4.15 and because he's our sympathetic high priest who understands what it's like to be human, yet without sin, of course, then uh, the author of Hebrews in that same passage in verse 16 says, Therefore, boldly approach the throne of grace to receive mercy in time of need. And so because we understand that he understands what it's like to be human and he understands our weaknesses, we sh- should be propelled into the throne room to seek mercy from our great Savior, um, from our great God. And so I think the humanity of Christ helps us see that. We, we see um, the fact that he's sleeping, right? he's asleep in the stern of the boat during a storm. He was tired. He ministered. He worked hard, and he had to sleep. We all know what that's like, to, to need sleep, and, and you can relate with, with Jesus in that regard. And then he weeps. He weeps because he sees his friends weeping over their brother there in John chapter 11. And so he, he has emotion, human emotion. And we know what it's like to cry because we're sad as well. And so what is that, uh, that, that's something that makes, um, us appreciate the fact that our savior is, yes, is God, but as man, there is something there that uh, helps us to pray. And I think that's what Hebrews 4:15 and 16 is helping with. And, um, it's, it's, Something that I, whenever we think about the fact that he had to grow up, like we had to grow up, he had to learn things. You know, um, Luke two fifty two, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. Um, that's that's amazing to think about. It's kind of a mind bender, but when you understand that he was a kid to be a kid too. You know, so he understands what it's like to be a kid. And so you can tell that to a child. You can tell, I mean, as parents, we can tell that to our children, or our younger counselees or disciples. It's like Jesus knows what it's like to be a teenager. Now, he never sinned, but he knows what it's like. He knows the weaknesses. And so that's that's a comfort, I think, to our counselees. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I guess on the flip side, you'd say you see his humanity. But as God, you see his divine authority as well. I've been preaching through the book of Luke. And so we've seen the d- divine authority of Christ over creation when he stilled the water and the waves there. Also, we saw his, his divine authority over sickness and healing people who are sick. His, his divine authority over uh, the spiritual realm and casting out demons. And he cast out uh, just this huge number of, of demons from the one man, you know, the man uh, from the Gerasenes, right? Uh, he said, we are, we are legion, is what the, the demon, the representative demon said from within him. Because there were many in this man. And so his power is exerted over not just one demon, but many. And then he's healing not only is he healing those who are sick, but he's also raising people from the dead. And then his, his divine authority over sin, whenever, um, the man who was crippled is brought, uh, before Jesus, you know, he's brought down through the roof. His friends bring him there and he, uh, forgives him of his sins. And the Pharisees say, who can forgive sins, but God alone. Well, you know, they didn't know it, but they got it right. Yeah. God himself. So he's got divine authority over sin. And so we can take comfort in that as, as people who struggle with sin. Our Savior has authority over it. And that has implications when you get to the cross, doesn't it? 
And then um, over over death, death has no sting, and that kind of points you forward to the cross as well as authority over over death. And then oh, over sickness, and and so there there are all these things that we struggle with that we see he's got authority over, and so. Um, Instead of being helpless and hopeless, which is what so many people struggle with whenever they're walking through trials, you can say, well, there is someone, uh, the God-man Jesus Christ, and he's got authority over this. And so turn to him. Trust him. Um, come crawl to the, the cross. Crawl to your, to your Savior. So that, that's another element that you, you see. Um, again, and these are like historical narrative that we talked about last time. Uh, they're in story form. And so you, you see this played out in real life. Um, we already mentioned that these emphasize the cross and the resurrection as well. And so you, you see how much time is spent leading up to um, Jesus' death, the week of his death and resurrection there. But something else you see is the cross, the shame of the cross. You want to notice how in the Gospels, the physical aspect of it is not really described very, very much, but the the mockery and the shame is actually um, is detailed more than the physical nature of it. And you might watch some of these these movies like The Passion of the Christ, and the physical is really highlighted, but in the scriptures it seems more like the mockery is. And then, if you look at Gethsemane in the garden the night before he was crucified, you see the agony of Christ. And that helps you understand the spiritual nature of what he's going to endure the next day. I think that's one of the, and not only do you look at the cross and, and you hear him cry out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then you look at Gethsemane and you see the, the, the drops of blood that he's sweating. How he's praying, if there's any other way, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And so uh, with, with all of that, um, that kind of torment that he's going through the night before he's crucified. That, what does that tell you about what he's walking into? And then what does that tell you about what he's done for your soul? So the, the mm-hmm. emphasis on the cross in the Gospels is is a extremely humbling and um, assuring. His rejection from the Jews, the Romans, and not only the Jews and the Romans, but from his disciples. And he was left alone. Yet he went anyway, and he could have, he even makes it clear, he could have called upon his father uh, to send 12 legions of angels, I think is, is the correct statement, to come and rescue him, but he didn't. He kept walking all the way, and he was submissive to his father um, from beginning to end. And so he did that for us, and knowing that all of those things are historical. It's not a, it's not a tale, it's not a fable, it's not, it's not a nursery rhyme. This happened, and he did it. For me, and so it wasn't just oh wow, look at the sacrifice that he did. That's that he would do such a thing as that's that's wonderful. But he did it for you. He did it for me, right? He he did it for my soul. So when you think about the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me, right? He says um, in First Corinthians eleven, he says, "This is my body, which is for you." Those words for you, all of that is is for us. And so that helps you appreciate this, the central aspect, the, 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 the hinge, uh, the linchpin in our, our whole entire religion, the, the, the monument of the cross. 
Everything centers on the cross. And so uh, the Gospels help us to see the emphasis of that. Um, and I think that's extremely important. Well, these are really insightful because I think as people are reading the Gospel narratives, these are things they can be looking for. Yeah. You know, the humanity of Christ, the deity of Christ, his authority over yeah. all things. Yes. Um, and, and that can connect very specifically to the challenges and life problems of people. So the, what you're telling us uh, can actually aid, I think, in Bible reading in terms of what to look for and how to benefit yes. from those things. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and not forgetting, too, that though um, it's not the primary reason why Jesus came to earth, him being an example is an aspect of him coming. I mean, the scriptures are clear on that. He is our example. Now, we believe that he came primarily to deal with sin, right, to be our substitute, but he also came to be our example. First Peter 2 is clear on that. And so um, we can look at his living and we can say, okay, I need to be like Jesus in these ways. Certainly, I, I can't atone for sin. Uh, there are things I, I can't do that Jesus did. I need to remember that. But some things that we do see him doing that we need to, to do in like manner, submit to the Father, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He came to do the will of his Father, and he did not deviate from that one step. That We should be that way. We can look and see the example he sets in submitting to God, his prayer life. You know, he would go and, and Luke's very clear on this, um, before big events and before big decisions, he's going off in the mountains and he's praying to, to get ready, right, to commune with his father before that takes place. So we can, we can take his prayer life and, and we can um, follow that as a model for our own lives. Or the love that he has for the disciples and even the love he showed for the rich young ruler. Now, he rejected Christ, but it says he loved him. The text says he loved him, even though he walked away from Jesus. You think, I need to have that same kind of love for the lost and for those who are his as well. And obviously then his humility. Um, Paul is very clear in uh, chapter 2 of Philippians that we are to have this mind that is yours in Christ Jesus, right? And then talks about Jesus' humility and coming from heaven to earth to being obedient um, to the point of death, even death on a cross, And it comes in the context of him saying, you um, treat others as more significant than yourselves. So we follow his example in that regard. And so you you see all of this lived out, his servanthood, his washing the disciples' feet. And that becomes for us something to follow. And um, so knowing that the WWJD thing was very popular, and I can see why that was was kind of a a catchy thing, but... um, we tend to, I think, in kind of reform circles, you can take the Bible seriously. We're like, okay, yeah, WWJD, that was great. You know, let's let's push that aside. But let's get back to middle ground here. It's not something we should discard entirely just because it was popular. We do need to be like Jesus in many ways, as long as we make the distinction that we can't be like him in every way because he is unique in what he came to do. So I, I think there's value in that as well. well. That's good. And we were talking with Historic Narrative last time about how, you know, we might read those prescriptive verses in scripture like for example in the new testament letters that you know do this don't do that but then those are illustrated in a lot of the historic narratives so for example romans 8 28 and 29 god works all things for good we see that illustrated in a real life through the joseph narrative in genesis 37 to 50 and and what i hear you saying is just as we hear the new testament tell us you know be like christ you know we've been conformed to the image of his son reading those gospel narratives really helps us to see well what does that look like what does it look to love your look like to love your enemies what does that look 
like to be humble and consider others as more important? And so the life of Christ is exemplary in that yes. it really fleshes out uh, those New Testament commands. Absolutely. Um, and you you see him put hands and feet to those gospel commands. I think it's a good way to say that, right? Um, okay, so how, how do I know how to do that? Well, look at Christ. Look, look how he exemplified that and do likewise. So, yes, I completely agree. So let's talk about this. You know, sometimes especially those that are new to biblical counseling, um, new to discipleship, maybe even just new Christians, you know, they're, they're drawn to those favorite places in Scripture. You know, I'm going to talk to somebody about anxiety, and I'm always going to go to Philippians 4. And, and we should go to Philippians 4. But as, as I hear you talking, there's all these different genres that God has inspired as part of his word. How can we recognize that and, in a sense, honor the fact that that's the way God put the Bible together in terms of the homework assignments we give or or even the the Bible reading assignments, the passages we go to? Can you talk about genres as it relates to counseling agenda and homework and things like that? Yeah, I think that um, maybe in in the the Scripture memory homework that we give, I I am all for Scripture memory. Um, we, We have a Scripture memory program that we work through in our church. I love it. Let's assign that for our disciples and our counselees, but maybe we can also help them to gain the context of that verse before we assign it. It's like, okay, we're, you know what? We're going to turn to this chapter in this book, and we're going to see those literary components that surround it, the historical um, components that surround this book of the Bible, and we're going to study that first before I assign this to you as homework. So you get you get the best of both worlds. You, you've got that, that good verse that you can recall to your mind whenever you're struggling during the week, but you also know exactly what it means because you've studied it with your counselee or your counselee studied with you during your counseling session and they've come to that conclusion. So they're not going to say, oh, you know, like I think of Romans 8, 28. It's uh, God causes all things to work together for good. Well, you can make up your own good. Right? If you're not in context, what does good mean to you? Good means, oh, okay, I get the promotion. Good means that the, the trial gets wiped away entirely. And so you can, if, you, if you're not in context, you can take that scripture memory and you can just insert your own meanings into it. And that's dangerous. So helping our counselees in the scripture memory uh, to see what the literary components and the historical components are that will help them is uh, something that we can do to have, be them, help them be better students of God's word and um, you know, practical appliers of God's word. Well, if there are people listening that want to grow in terms of their ability to read the different genres of the Bible, like the Gospels, uh, are there any resources that you found particularly helpful that might benefit our listeners as they seek to grow in these things? I think that um, I mentioned this last time in our in our podcast, but a very accessible book and learning how to study the scriptures and this this component of literary genre is Grasping God's Word by Scott Duvall and um, Daniel Hayes. They're professors at a Bible college out in Arkansas, and they've made a very accessible book to learn how to study the scriptures. And so they have a great chapter on literary genre, and then they have a whole nother chapter on the Gospels themselves and how you study Gospels. And so I would recommend getting a hold of that book and reading that literary genre chapter and also the, the chapter on the Gospels. And you can do that with all of the, the, the literary genres of Scripture to ben- help you benefit from, um, from that book and apply it to your own Bible study so you can be a better applier of, of scriptural truth. Well, Brent, these are great, great tips on uh, seeing the value of reading the Gospels. Are there any other, other benefits that come to mind? Yeah. One that I think that 
we, we want to shy away from sometimes is that some of the hardest sayings in Scripture are given by Jesus himself in the Gospels. So I think of Luke 14, 26. And I'll just turn there briefly to read it to you. This is a hard saying. And we, we t- tend to be a little squeamish with verses like this, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. And Jesus himself says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. These kind of discipleship um, verses like Luke 9, 23 as well. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. Daily deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is it's a hard calling. Um, discipleship is costly. And certainly he doesn't mean uh, that um, you are to literally hate your parents and hate your wife. But the love that you ought to have for Christ should exceed far, far exceed all other loves in your life so that it looks like hate because the, the gap is so wide. The distance between your love for him and all others is, um, is so, so deep, so far reaching. So uh, I think when you read those, you think, ah, do I really want my counselee reading that? We're, not, we're expositors, right? We, we, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We don't shy away from any of it because we understand it's all Scripture. It's all God-breathed. It's all inerrant and all sufficient. So our counselees, some of our counselees, many of them need to hear these verses because they are living in sin and they're playing with sin. They've got pet sins and they're not taking Christ seriously. And so some of these very uh, cutting verses need to be given to them. Reading this in in a counseling room, let me read a verse to you. I want to talk about this with you in light of what you've been doing this week and and how you've not been making progress. And I love you, and I want you to to hear this. I just want this to, to ring in your ears for a minute. Let me read Luke 14, 26 to you. How does your love for Christ add up to this right now? That that's hard, but good and needed. And we tend to want to be so polite and nice all the time. We can be very nice and very polite and still tell the truth and still have the scriptures be something we don't shy away from and we're not ashamed of. And I think if we do shy away from verses like this, then we're doing a disservice to people who are continuing in sin that are sitting across the table from us. And so that would be um, one of the things that uh, I think that they could, our counselees could really benefit from if we would pray for the courage to use these texts and assign these texts. So, and finally, I'll just say this as well, and that is um, there are some beloved parables in the Gospels. You know, this, uh, these stories that Jesus would tell, these metaphorical parables to teach something about the kingdom of God um, or about the character of God. And so um, when you turn to Luke 15, you find the prodigal son. And for someone who struggles to believe in the love of God, what a parable to assign them to read and to meditate on during the week, um, to see the, the father 
um, running to the sun. The love of God. And um, the need for, perhaps you've got uh, a counselee that's, um, you're not sure if they're a believer or not. You're, you're, you're trying to determine that. You're trying to counsel them. That's, I mean, we've been in scenarios like that where people have come to Christ in the counseling room. And that could be integral text for helping them to see the love of God in Christ. Um, also, persistent widow. Christ is very clear about why he gives that parable. He says um, he gives it so that um, they would learn to uh, not give up in prayer. Right and to continue in prayer and not lose heart. That's right. To continue in prayer and not lose heart. And so um, that can be a, a wonderful element of helping your your counselees or your disciples uh, evaluate their own prayer lives. Are you persisting in this prayer, or have you given up in this prayer for this person for this area of your life? Um, how often are you praying about this? Is just once in a while? Are you daily pleading with the Lord? Because you believe that God answers prayer and you believe he's gracious and you believe that's your, your duty is to continue on your knees like this woman. And, um, and, and to, in order to understand parable, a lot of times the way that Jesus would work is um, in that, like, that parable, for instance, of the persistent widow, the, the judge that she's pleading with, he is he's an ungodly person. Yet he gives her what she wants because of her persistence, because she continues to ask and continues to ask. But it just, he's looking out for himself and he's finally like, okay, I'll do it. But he's, he's not doing it for any good reason. He's, he's doing it for a very selfish reason. And so the point that the Christ is, is making is, um, if this godless man will do this for this woman, your loving father, your loving God, how much more so is he willing? to answer your prayers when you persist. You know, so you get to see, again, the the nature of who God is and, and it helps your counselees and your disciples to have a God-centered theology. And then, finally, I'll just say, you learn something wonderful about the gospel and the need for uh, for true, humble uh, faith and the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we need to hear as Christians, right now, you're acting like a functional unbeliever. You're acting more like the Pharisee in the temple than you're acting like the tax collector who had his head down and wouldn't even look up, but he's beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That kind of humility, um, you're not exhibiting that right now. You look more like the Pharisees who's uh, boasting in what you have done. You know, as Christians, we need to hear that kind of thing. But it can also be a wonderful gospel text for somebody who, who needs to come and receive justification by relying on the mercy of God and not his own merits or his own so-called righteousness. You know, so you get these, these parables that have some wonderful truth that our counselees need to hear. So I would, uh, I would recommend the gospel, the gospel genre for, for that as well. Thank you for listening to Counsel the Word. For more information about Pastor Brent Osterberg or the ministry of Living Hope Bible Church, you can visit their website at lhbcmansfield.com. And for more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, you can visit us at our website, thecbcd.org.